Uh, I have four kids, pray for me, for sure. Uh, but we watch a lot of movies. Um, our favorite family movie at the moment right now is Inside Out. Um, anybody see Inside Out? It's a dope movie. Um, had me snot nose crying a little bit, but I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna tell you that out loud. The movie, I just did, I know. The movie is about a, a girl named Riley. Uh, she is 11, she plays hockey, she lives in the Midwest. Her family decides to move to San Francisco. And what the movie is about though, is inside of Riley's heart and mind, um, the, her emotions are characters. So there's anger, there's uh, anxiety, there's joy, there's sadness. And there's a scene in the movie where they are looking to protect her core memories. And these core memories are represented in this like little marble and it's glowing. And these core memories for Riley are important because she's moving, because she's navigating this major change in her life. Um, the, the, her emotions are trying to protect these core memories. And I was thinking to myself, yo, I have some core memories. I have core memories that, that are really important to me. I remember uh, the first time playing ball when I was in, in, you know, you guys know I played basketball, but when I was a sophomore, I scored 22 points in a game and it revolutionized how I understood the game of basketball. Because me being not tall, let's just say, you know what I'm saying? Not tall. I don't use the word short, I'm just not tall. Uh, scoring 22 points, it, I, it fundamentally changed that I don't have to just be some robot. Like, I can really have an impact on the game. It changed my, my understanding of how I played the game. Um, I remember the first time a young person, um, instead of retaliating in, in, some, in violence when a firearm decided to call me. And um, that, the first time that that happened, in my, for me, it was such a, a core memory because they could have chose anything, but they chose to call me. So when I think about the work that I do, I'm like, yo, the work that I do matters. It matters. My presence matters in the lives of teenagers. Um, I, I remember the first time uh, when a young person told me that my words changed their life. The, the weight that shifted on me being cognizant of the words that leave my mouth, it changed. These are core memories. And um, as I thought about this and in, in, in thinking about the movie, I'm like, well, these are not just core memories. These have been defining moments. And each of us, all of us, we've had defining moments. And my scripture this morning, the scripture that we're going to talk about this morning, Jesus is creating an intentional defining moment between him and the disciples. We're going to see Jesus establish a question here that is going to be the core memory, the defining moment for the disciples. Now, listen, defining moments aren't moments that where you just made it. They're not, that's not what I mean by defining moments where you show up like, oh, yo, I made it. I've succeeded. No, defining moments are moments that have made you. And Jesus, in this passage is going to ask a question that is going to make the disciples. It's going to be the question that not only the disciples, but you and I will constantly at some point 
in our lives, we will have to answer this question. Starts in Matthew, uh, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 16, starting at verse 13, says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciple, who, his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ." Renaissance, did you hear it? Did you hear the question? The defining moment? Jesus starts out very general. Who do people say that I am? What's the street? What's the buzz? What's the community saying about me? Jesus being very perceptive that the way he was leading, the way uh, he was a rabbi and a teacher, which just means teacher in that culture, the way he was a teacher, he knew it was a little different. He knew the buzz about him in all the places where he went. He knew people were saying things about him. So in general, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Because I want to know, disciples, if you're thinking like the rest of them. I need to know that. This is a defining moment. So, so then Jesus turns to them, and, and I wasn't there, but I would imagine he probably slowed down the conversation and said, but who do you, who do you say that I am? Because their answer to this question, and similarly our answer to this question, is going to determine the direction of their life. Their answer to the understanding of truly who Jesus is, and we'll unpack this text a little more, this understanding is going to be the defining moment for them. Now for me, I've had some experience with this question in many ways. And there are parts of the Bible, there's times when I read the Bible and then some things I'm reading, I'm like, all right, good, I get that. And then there's moments like this that impact me personally. Those of you may know, back in 2015, I lost my dad to uh, a very rare form of To a very rare form of cancer, uh, mental cell lymphoma. And my dad was my best friend. And I remember on a Thursday, things were getting rough. My pops wasn't able to eat. He wasn't able to swallow. And I was trying to feed him. And he couldn't do it. And I remember him looking me in my eyes and saying, not saying he couldn't speak, but his eyes were saying, bro, I'm trying for you probably. I imagine he was holding on for me at the moment. And I'm, and I'm 
working with him, and I'm, I come to the conclusion that my efforts are insufficient at this point. And it's too rough for me to stay there, so I step away from him. And I remember the Lord asking me the question, in essence, who do you say that I am? I remember being faced with the challenge, like, yo, at this point in my career, I had been to Portugal. I've been overseas proclaiming the gospel. I've watched thousands of young people go from death to life. I've physically seen it with my own eyes. And here I am at this defining moment where the Lord is saying to me, well, who do you say I am right now, though? I know what you've done with a mic in your hand. I know where you've been. I know how you've proclaimed the gospel. But, but do you trust me? All the things that you've said about me up front and out in public, do you believe that right now? And I remember crying profusely and saying, Lord, I trust you. You are the son of the living God. And I believed it. And hours later, my dad passed. After that exchange with God, it was hours. The question wasn't, what would I do with a mic in my hand? Or, or how relevant can I proclaim the gospel? Or how creative can I be when I step in front of people to talk about this Jesus? The question was, who do I say he is in the moment? Renaissance, the same question is for you. Who do you say he is? Who is he to you? Not in theory, not in practice, not through uh, the melodies or the rhythm of music. Who do you say he is right now in the middle of a storm or when things are going super great? Do you forget about him? Who do you say he is? See, it was my answer to this question that became the anchor for the rest of my life. What is anchoring you, Renaissance? What is your anchor? What are you holding on to when things get crazy? How would you answer that question? Think about it right now. Take, take a minute. We don't have to rush. 22 minutes left. <laughs> Who would you say he is? And maybe there are some of you who are like, yo, I can't. There's too much life happening right now. I don't know that I could answer that question. Well, you have to. At some point in our lives, there will be a place where, where this question it's not just an atherical thing. It's a personal question that Jesus is asking you. It's difficult and as hard as it may be. And how we answer this question will determine the direction of our lives. How we answer this question will determine what anchors us for the rest of our lives. There's so much more to unpack in this scripture. Let me jump back to the text in Matthew 16 starting at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, let me stop for a second. 
How many of y'all skip names when y'all, in the Bi- when y'all read in the Bible? Don't front. Right? you like, sister. I know you did that. I know you did that. I'm pretty confident many of y'all did that. But in this particular text, Matthew gives us the geography because it's going to be important. So I want you to keep that in mind. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am. The point that I want to extract from this text, the thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus wants you to know him for yourself. Jesus wants you to know him for yourself. The reason he makes this question personal is because he needs to know. Because the rest of Matthew 16 will tell you Jesus is beginning to understand that it's his time to go to the cross. Right after this, he predicts his death. And Jesus knows that this defining moment is going to be so important for the disciples that he turns the question and he makes it personal. And so I want to say to anybody here today, Jesus wants you to know him for yourself. Now, what about grandma's faith? What about my cousin's faith? What, what about uh, uh, Jordan and, and, and Aswan when, they, when they're preaching? What about their faith? I'm going to just go on who they say Jesus is. Well, temporarily, that could can, can be helpful. But what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I don't want you to stay there temporarily because there's going to be times and situations in your life and personal experiences and culture that are going to force you to define who Jesus is for yourself. You can, you can borrow somebody's understanding temporarily, but Jesus needs you to get it for yourself. Who do you say he is? For anybody, we have our prayer team at the end of service. If you want to answer that question, you can do that today. And then the other thing I like about this, uh, if you remember reading when the disciples answered, they said, Elijah, John the Baptist, or Jeremiah, or or one of the prophets, My, my question to you today is just like them, what they were doing is they needed a bucket to put Jesus in. And as Jewish culture, they would have understood the history of these amazing prophets of God. And they would have understood that. They would have known their history. And so in their mind, their category is like, Jesus must be like one of these prophets. And he's going to do what the prophecy says these prophets were going to do. He's probably going to be in the same line as them. And Jesus is saying, that's just an insufficient understanding of who I am. I'm more than a prophet. And the revelation we see to this question is deeper. But, but my question to you is, have you put Jesus in a category? Do you have a box that you've tried to fit him in? Oh, maybe Jesus is like this. Man, that box is only helpful if he could fit in it. But he can't. And he doesn't. But I can't make you believe that. Jesus wants you to know him for yourself. And he's so good 
He's so amazing that he doesn't leave you to guess. The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that there is a God who sat in eternity, who decided to have children and said, I'm not going to leave those children alone. I'm going to put on human nature and I'm going to step into human history. And I'm going to reveal myself to them so that they know exactly who I am. So when they hear this question, who do you say that I am? It's an invitation into a personal relationship with the God of the universe. That's who's asking the question. In the Christian faith, it's called the incarnation. And it's the reality that there's a God who put on human nature and that understanding is the foundation for how I want you to understand this question. Who do you say he is? Well, Jesus wants you to know him for yourself. Let's keep reading. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. I don't know if he, his inflection in his voice was like that, but I would imagine... You are the Christ. There was some revelation there, some understanding. His eyes were open to some degree. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. Listen to this. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The second implication I want to draw from this is Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church. He's not building a social club. He's not building a group of individuals that just look nice on a Sunday and are able to hit a falsetto. Jesus is building his church on this, on the one true fact that he is who he says he is. He's the God of the universe in human form. That revelation, that understanding of who Jesus is, it's that that's the foundation of Jesus building his church. When I studied this passage and me and Jordan were chopping it up about this, the language in the Greek is more like this. It says, Who do you all pronounce me to be? See, Jesus is not just building a couple individuals. He's not just building a couple pastors who go out and do all the talking about him. No, he's building a group of people. You all, those who have been set apart, who put their faith and their trust in Jesus, you become the church. And it's the church that Jesus is building to do what? To go out and and invite people who don't know him to come have a safe place to get rescued. You and I, the church, Jesus is building his church. He says, who do you all pronounce me to be? Now, As you wrestle with that question, who do you say that I am, the one beautiful thing I also love about this church is that we invite you to do that in community. You don't have to answer that question alone. The reason we have DNA groups and growth groups is so that you could be in community wrestling with how you define or what, who do you think Jesus is? 
You can watch somebody in your DNA group come and show up on a particular Wednesday and say, you know what, I haven't told this to anybody, but I need some healing, and I've been healed. The God of the universe met me, and I've been healed, and you're in that DNA group learning and hearing how God has worked in their life, and there's nothing different about them than you. See, Jesus is building his church, and the church is a group of people. It's you all who are proclaiming him. You all have a unique way, not in isolation, but a unique way that you will proclaim the truth about who God is. And when we do it collectively, that's what the world needs to see. That's what the world needs to feel and sense and know. Jesus is building his church, and we learn who he is in community. Lastly, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Here's my last point, and this is what I want to drive home. We must anchor ourselves in Jesus. We must anchor ourselves in Jesus. My son Axel is eight, and similar to his father, he's not tall. (laughs) Okay? Makes sense? As he's playing soccer now or in basketball, uh, there are some seven, eight, nine-year-olds that are bigger than him. I don't know what they're feeding kids these days. (laughs) But what I've tried to share with Axel is, bro, when you're out there competing, you need a strong base. You need a strong base because when you have a strong base, the way people are trying to bump you and push you, you'll be strong. You'll be able to stand, Axel. You'll be able to be right there in place when you have a strong base. And for the Christian, we must anchor ourselves in Jesus so we can have a strong base. I told you this Caesarea Philippi was important in this text. And in Caesarea Philippi, this particular geography, it would have been known in the community and around the community that that this place was the place where idol worship happened. Idols were images and other gods that people were praying to. There would have been this little little, like well, uh, little body of water where there would have been baby sacrifice happening. There would have been carved out images in in the mountains around this particular geography. And Jesus strategically chooses to have this question in that geography. Jesus is saying, yo, look around. The culture is going to tell you who I am. They're not going to be shy about it. Look around. Your personal experience is going to tell you who I am. And and the temptation is going to be to believe that I am not who I say I am. And so what he's doing in this context is he's saying, I need you to know, disciples, renaissance, I need you to know the answer to this question is going to be a defining moment for you. So I'm going to ask you, 
in the midst of culture, in the midst of idols, in the midst of your personal experience, who do you say that I am? You've watched me heal lepers. You've watched me defy physics and walk on water. You've watched me turn bread and fish into a meal to feed thousands of people. And so I need you to get this full understanding of who I am. Because remember, Jesus says, when he says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, what he's saying is, and then he says, the gates of hell will not succeed or overcome it. What he's saying is, when you have me, when you anchor yourself in me, when I am your strong base and all of the opposition comes, you won't blow away. When all the subtle insidious thoughts creep into your mind and the crevices of your soul and tell you, oh, oh, this money situation, you can't trust God. You got to figure it out on your own. He's saying, no, I'm your base. I am who I say I am. You need to anchor yourself in me. When that relationship faux pas is happening and it gets more and more complicated and you don't even want to talk about it, Jesus is not asking you to think about him. In theory, he's saying, I am who I say I am. And in the midst of that relationship, I can show up and still be your anchor. When that career situation happens, and I know I'm talking to somebody in the room, when those career situations happen, not once, not twice, but a couple times, Jesus is not saying, I'm just a theory that I want you to think about. I don't want you to anchor yourself on what the culture is saying. I want you to know for yourself who I say I am. I'm the anchor of your soul, and I will hold you through these career faux pas as well. We must anchor ourselves in Jesus. Renaissance, what has been your anchor? Who has been your anchor? My prayer is that we would anchor ourselves in Jesus. He's the only one who's strong enough to hold you and life together. And the force, the torque, the sheer pressure of that he went to the cross and died to absorb it, to pull you and life together. And he says, I am the true anchor to hold you when everything else is crumbling, when nothing else is working, when nothing else is strong enough, not even you. I am your anchor, but you have to answer the question, who do you say I am? Daniel chapter eleven thirty two says this, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Jesus knows you question is, do you truly know who he is? And will you allow that revelation to anchor you and become your strong base? See, the gospel is not just individual. It's personal. 
but it's not individual. And you don't have to be strong on your own. I'm telling you, get into a DNA group. Get around some people who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that will continue to fortify you. I'm going to close with this. This is a true story. There's a story about a man named Dennis Anthony. I don't know him, but this story moved me. I'm inspired by this story. When he and his wife Susan retired, they noticed that their next-door neighbor was selling uh, a 25-foot sailboat. And so as retired people, they were like, yo, we should put our pennies together um, and we should buy it. And we should invest it in and what the story tells us is uh, that they were captured by this idea of creating more and more core memories because now they knew they were in the latter time of their life and they wanted some core memories. They wanted to create some defining moments together. So they take their investment and they purchase from their neighbor, they purchase this 25-foot sailboat. So... I mean, this boat now was no longer just like a thought. It was their investment. This was something they put their money into. After a few days of the purchase, they were notified by the news that there was going to be a big storm. And just like predicted, the day had come and this storm hits this particular geography where they live. The rain began pouring down in sheets. At midnight, uh, this is what Dennis Anthony says, at midnight we were awakened by a violent wind gusting to 60 miles an hour and above. Then after that, it was impossible for him to sleep. He was uh, standing in his home looking out the window and what he begins to see is these waves just go overtake his boat. And he's watching this, he can't sleep His wife's probably asleep. I don't know. Let me not embellish. (laughs) But he's watching out the window and he's he's seeing these waves just overtake his boat. And in his mind, I could only imagine he's thinking about his investment. He put his retired money into this investment and the waves are clearly overtaking this boat and probably going to sink the boat. The next morning... Dennis Anthony and his wife Susan, they run out to the dock. And what do they find? They find the boat. Here's why. Because when the storm came, they put an anchor down. They made sure that anchor was in its right place. And when the waves came and the storms blew, the boat was still intact. We must anchor ourselves in Jesus. Jesus is our anchor. Jesus is not saying there won't be storms in your life. In fact, he's not even trying to calm every storm in your life. What Jesus is saying is when I'm your anchor, when I'm your strong base, there is no life storm that's going to succeed. There is no life storm that's going to overtake you. And I know there are times and seasons when it feels like it will. When you and I will be like Dennis Anthony and his wife and we'll look out the windows of our life and all we can see is waves. 
I just need you to know. When you answer the question, who do you say I am? It's like dropping an anchor in eternity. And it's the God of the universe that will stand his ground and hold you and be with you. All throughout the Bible, Jesus promises, I will be with you. He says in the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you as you are going to make disciples. I will be with you to the end of the age. He is your base and your anchor. I want you to trust that. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for being our anchor. In Jesus' name, amen.